Hello, you're listening to The Sower, a podcast of the Ciceronian Society. The Ciceronian Society is a community of Christian scholars and public intellectuals committed to the examination of three core themes, tradition, place, and things divine, and their role in the intellectual discipleship of the church and civilization generally. To learn more about us, our events, the podcast, our journal, Pietas, to sign up for our newsletter and make your tax-deductible gift, please go to ciceronianciety.org. That's C-I-C-E-R-O-N-I-A-N-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y.org. I'm Josh Bowman, Vice President of the Ciceronian Society, and before introducing our guest, please join me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that you would bless our conversation and that all we say and do would bring glory and honor to you. Amen. We're recording uh, this podcast on July 12th, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by my friend David Michael Phelps. He is a married father of four, a former English professor, and a former creative director for an ad firm. He was raised in a machine shop, which the way I wrote, worded that sounds like you were uh, like raised on the floor of it. We're um, <laughs> working with his dad from junior high through grad school, and he has over 20 years of experience in education, nonprofits, uh, and communication. And I should also mention that we were just talking about this beforehand, that like me, he is a lifelong Detroit Red Wings fan, uh, which recommends him so highly. Uh, would, he, he, you could actually come to my family's Thanksgiving uh, with that kind of attitude. But uh, David, I didn't warn you about this, but I wanted to ask you this. So since we're both Michiganders, before I go any further, who do you root for in college football? In college football, you know, that's, that's difficult because I, I grew up in a household that uh, was a U of M household, but I, I married a woman from East Lansing. So I, I, I exist in, in a attention similar to that of East and West Christendom. Um, I, I'm, drawn, I'm drawn to the East, but my heart, uh, uh, but my loyalties are in the West. And what do you do with that? Well, you know, what, what, what you do with it is you root for St. Harbaugh. That's what you do. <laughs> um, because that's the, that's the Christian, I'm just kidding. I mean that that is a thing on Michigan. I mean people don't understand. I mean that, that that's a rivalry that goes between respect and hatred on a regular basis. So that that tension would be difficult to live in. Uh, but indeed, well, with me, you know, uh, when in East Lansing do as the East Lansingers do, and when in Ann Arbor do as the Ann Arborans do. Well, maybe not everything they do in those places. It's a little weird um, <laughs> for the for the uninitiated. Uh, Ann Arbor and East Lansing, they're special places. Um, <laughs> what we're actually here to talk about, though, is David's role as the president of Harmel Academy in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So what is Harmel Academy, you ask? Well, it's only one of the most Ciceronian society-ish things I've ever encountered. It's a really great example, I think, of the intersection of our three core themes, tradition, place, and things divine. And more precisely, Harmel Academy is a residential Catholic post-secondary trade school. You heard me correctly. It's a residential Catholic post-secondary trade school. And while I'm a nerd who would have flunked out of trade school and now depend on YouTube to teach me how to fix really anything, um, I'm so excited about this program. I learned about it a couple months ago when I met David for the first time, and I knew we had to get him on the show. So welcome, David. Well, thank you so kindly for uh, thinking to have us. Really appreciate it. Let's start with this. In a basic sense... How would you describe the mission and vision of Harmel Academy? Yeah, good. So it, it's not it's not always easy, and and for that reason, the the most accessible uh, language is, is is the language that you shared, right? We say uh, you know a Catholic trade school, but th- that isn't as technically accurate as uh, that's the easiest way in. But I, I like to speak of of Harmel as a community of formation for men, 
and the formation takes place through work and prayer and study. Um, the, so we start with the community. These, these men live together. Uh, they have certain commitments to live in, uh, as a part of that community. For example, they, they, uh, when they come, they commit to praying the divine office in community three times a day, a little similar to what it would be in a, a monastery. Um, they commit to a, a course of study in theology and philosophy and literature and history in this uh, integrated humanities uh, curriculum oriented around the gospel of work and around their vocation as working men. And, and then they study the skilled trades, and, and they do that in, in one of two ways. We have a, um, a one-year, uh, sort of a gap year program. This is for young men who are interested in the formation, who are interested in, in uh, exploring a life in the skilled trades, but for whatever reason or another, maybe they don't have uh, the experience or aren't ready to make the commitment to a, a longer-term journey. It's a, it's a one-year introduction uh, to uh, about eight different skilled trades. So it's introductory. Um, it's a little bit like a freshman year, if, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and then we have uh, the second program is an apprenticeship track program where, where these men are enrolled in actual apprenticeships in uh, skilled trade. Uh, currently, we focus uh, because we try to be very uh, – we, we try, try to take very much account of, of local need in the marketplace, and here in West Michigan, it's uh, it's heavily manufacturing. So uh, our uh, we have a apprenticeship track for machinists and machine builders, and we'll soon be uh, introducing one for automation and robotics as well. Um, in future years, you know we're we're still pretty young. In future years, we'll we'll certainly expand our programming into uh, you might say non-manufacturing trades, but that's where the heat and the need is now. And so those fellows. Um, those fathers uh, live in the community for two years and study while they get all their related technical instruction. Their apprenticeship, uh, it takes four years, though. Um, and so after they are done with their related technical training, then they uh, just continue on in their position as an apprentice with their, uh, with their shop until they finish their hours and, and earn their journeyman's card. Um, the, um, the, uh, the goal, though, I mean, so this is kind of how it works, but at, but at the end of the day, what we're... Uh, attempting to do is um, do our small part to address a problem, which is, you know, as a, as a culture and society, sometimes even as a church, we haven't been great all the time at providing the formation for young men that they need to become excellent men. And um, and what that uh, what that means is um, ultimately what that means is. Um, that they learn to, the way we speak about it is they, they learn to apprentice themselves uh, to our Lord. Um, and it, it's not simply about um, preparing yourself for a job because that job will have, you know, a, a great salary and a great life, although that, that is the case in the skilled trades. Uh, incredibly high demand for the skilled trades. And, and if you're a, a young person and I mean, if you're willing to show up and if you're willing to work hard and you're willing to learn, my goodness, write your ticket because uh, everyone wants you. Uh, but that's not, that's not the goal. That's, a, that's an outcome, but it's not the goal. The goal is to uh, understand that um, when – this is – John Paul says something similar in Laborum Exertions, which, which is essentially when our Lord – when our Lord uh, came to this earth and he began his path to the cross and his death and resurrection for our 
salvation. Every step he took was a path towards that cross, and every step he took was, uh, in a sense, therefore sanctified. And for 30 years, that path took him through uh, a shop, uh, in, in his uh, father's shop in Nazareth. And work itself has been sanctified, and work itself is a path to holiness. So, and, and it's the occasion for us to learn that it's not just this you know, utilitarian purpose that we have for work, even though it does that. And it's not even just a matter of serving our neighbor, which of course it is. Uh, but um, first and foremost is the opportunity to apprentice yourself to our Lord in his creation and redemption of the world. Um, and um, work as a path of sanctification. And, um, and, and when you begin to see your work that way, uh, a lot of things change in your life. So we're hoping to build a, a place where men can practice that for a couple years so that it becomes uh, habitual. And when they enter into uh, their own lives, God willing, with their own families, they become truly excellent men, highly skilled, thoughtful, and ultimately holy. It's a beautiful uh, mission and vision. I, I mean, it, now I as a Protestant, I immediately recognize everything you're, you're doing is, is Christian and valuable. It's one of those things like, why, why is this the first time I've heard of something like this? Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm incredibly encouraged, especially this kind of this 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 the sanctification in some ways of of work not as drudgery not as um, a necessary evil but as something that we do because we love Christ because we love what He has given us I, we do it out of a, the, the the grace He has uh, given us um, and I mean I I like I said I'm 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 an Anglican uh, but I would I would have if my son wanted to do this when he gets to be that age it would be an easy decision for me. Yes, please go. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Can I come? Um, now, I, I'd like to know a little bit of how this got started, uh, because I remember when you, when I first heard about what you're doing, I was just so, it was one of those things where, why? Why did it take so long for someone to figure this out? Um, because it's such such a good idea. And I, I know you're named after, and I also like to hear a little bit about the the guy you're named after, because I've never heard of, uh, I believe you just prayed, uh, Leon Har- Harmel. The French Catholic industrialist. Um, so let's 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 talk about uh, how how did this start, um, and and who is uh, uh, Leon Hermel? Yeah, good. So um, <clears throat> Hermel was founded by uh, the two fellows, a fellow named Ryan Pohl and a fellow named Brian Black. And um, Brian uh, ran a, a historic restoration company for uh, several decades and. And uh, Ryan Pohl was a, a machinist and an educator, <clears throat> and they were pals. And, uh, you know, every so often they would get together and shoot the breeze and, you know, have a, have a drink or two and, and commiserate, commiserate, as men do, about the difficulty it is in finding excellent, you know, employees. And this is a, this is a common refrain. Uh, but they're both, you know, uh, you know men who love the Lord and, and devout Catholic men. And... Um, and, and the story goes, one day Ryan was in his garage and he was kind of, you know, grousing a little bit because um, uh, he was uh, praying and he was uh, thinking about the fact that his wife, who was a nurse, uh, she had the opportunity to go to a, a good Catholic school that would marry her spiritual formation and her vocational training, right? And he wanted to know why something like that wasn't available for a machinist like him when he was coming up. And 
as he tells the story, he just had a, a flash, a sentence that came to him. And when he asked why this doesn't exist, the, the response seemed to be, well, because you haven't started one yet. And, um, and so he and Brian, you know, spent uh, several years sort of laying all the groundwork and, and, um, uh, uh, I myself, uh, came on board. Brian's a, a neighbor of mine. That's how I got involved. And I was, uh, the creative director of an ad agency. Um, and he, they needed some, some branding and marketing communication stuff done and asked me if I would help. And, uh, and boy, they told me about the idea and, uh, I immediately, immediately understood what a fantastic idea. I mean, it didn't need any explanation to me. Um, with, you know, with my own background, my father's machinist. He had a machine shop for 40 years, and I, I grew up working for him. I will say, though, that, uh, yeah, I was essentially, you know, kind of raised in this machine shop, but I, I'm always quick to point out, in case my family's listening, that everyone knows that of my five brothers and myself, I inherited the, the least amount of my father's mechanical genius, for sure. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, um, that integration of, of uh, the skilled trades and the intellectual formation and the spiritual formation just um, was something I immediately recognized as a deep need uh, because I experienced it myself, right? That just those sorts of things aren't available. So um, the, the first thing Ryan and Brian did is, is they went to our uh, bishop, an excellent fellow named uh, Bishop David Wachowiak, and uh, got his blessing, and you know, and Bob's your uncle. Um, so, but as far as uh, Leon Harmel, you know, yeah, he, he's he's not very well known. In fact, we often get mistaken for the the chili brand, which uh, <laughs> I should have probably spoken into as a, a branding professional earlier. But nonetheless, um, yeah, Leon. That's not Harmel, a bad thing. Let's let's let's, let's be clear. Th- this is true. No no <laughs> no shade being thrown at, at Hormel Chili, but Harmel. Uh, Leon Harmel, he was a, a fellow. He inherited his father's textile industry and uh, his textile factories in the uh, late 19th century, sort of at the at the peak of uh, the Industrial Revolution. And when he was a young fellow, around 35 or 40, his wife died, and he uh, decided that uh, he needed to figure out, therefore, what what was his calling? What was the Lord asking him to do? He was a third order Franciscan, and he decided that what he was being called to do was essentially to a, a, attempt to address what, you know, in, in the day sense have been, has been referred to as the social question, right? The, the, the radical change socially uh, in economically and culturally that comes with the Industrial Revolution. And he decided that um, he had inherited these factories. And so what God was asking him to do was to care essentially for the the bodies and souls of the people that had come to work in these factories. And so he was a, a tremendous innovator. He, he innovated in areas such as um, uh, like retirement accounts, right? If you can imagine such a thing, right? Hey, let's put a little money away for when you retire to make sure we can take care of you when you're old. Um, things like hospitals, things like, well, you have children. I suppose you should have schools. Why don't we build some schools? Um, uh, safety regulations on his factory floor. He's like, you know, maybe it's a good idea if we just, you know, have some reasonable uh, safety expectations about how we work so people don't get maimed and killed and left destitute. Um, uh, chapels and uh, uh, pastors and priests available. He would take his employees on pilgrimage and make sure that their spiritual formation was taken care of. So what he, 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 what he did was he saw his role as a businessman and as an entrepreneur through the lens of his calling to be a father, a father of a community. 
and um, and 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 many of these innovations caught the eye of uh, a fella in Rome named named Leo the Thirteenth, and Leo the Thirteenth and he became friends, and uh, uh, Leo the Thirteenth was known to say that Harmel should be the model for uh, for work and for business, that this man should be the model. This is, this is how we should do it. And that Harmel's must be multiplied was his phrase he was fond of saying. And, uh, and then eventually he decided that this should probably be um, what he saw in Harmel, not exclusively in Harmel, but what he saw in Harmel and through his, Har- uh, his friendship in Harmel. Maybe this should be memorialized. And so he decided to do that and wrote a document called Rerum Navarum. And people are huh. familiar with Rerum Navarum, yeah. as the sort of the kickoff of Catholic social teaching, as, as, as we tend to think of it today. Uh, but it was birthed through the work of men like Leon Harmel. Uh, and largely, he's been lost to history. He, he lived into World War I. His factories were destroyed in World War I, and that was kind of the end of his company, and in some ways, the end of his legacy, uh, at least as history remembers it. But he's this humble figure in the vineyard of the Lord who... Uh, tried to be faithful in work. And so we thought that that's as good a fella as any to take as an exemplar. That's, that's really cool. I mean, it's, I mean, that would be, for those listening, if, if you wanted to research this, this guy, Leon Hermel, that'd be a great topic for um, our conference. Um, and ju- just this, the, the, this, the inspiration that he is, that this guy has had, not only to Harmel Academy, but others would be a really fascinating thing to look into. Um, now, you've already talked talk to us a little bit about uh, how this works, the apprenticeships, the different programs. Um, I, I'm interested in the, in the humanity side of this. I think we can imagine what a trade school looks like in terms of the different some of the skills you'd, you'd learn and how it, uh, uh, it just the practical things that are part of it. And that's, that, that's in this program. But the unique part is the humanities. And I love what you say on the website. It says humanities for men with bloody knuckles, <laughs> which sounds fantastic. And, and there's, there's this great quote that I love. I, uh, it's um, by a person I've never heard of and whose name I don't know if I can pronounce, A.G. Sertelange's? Yes, Sertelange. Sertelange. Okay, I got to be more Canadian. Just kidding. Um, so the, the quote is, Let the man of study then be perpetually listening for truth. While he bends over his work, the spirit breathes in him, reveals himself, perhaps from outside, sends his prophets, men, things, books, happenings. The attentive soul must neglect nothing of it all. I love that quote. So I want to I use it to lead into this. And the humanity side of things, what give us an example of what they read, um, and and kind of what they talk, what, what the students talk about, and and how yeah. how you go about it. Yeah, good. Well, just just as a, as a short preface here, A. G. Sertiange is someone I am very embarrassed I came to very late in life, and um, actually through a former colleague of yours, Jared Ortiz at Hope College. Um, okay, among some others, and uh, I would just say. To anyone listening, if you have not read A.G. Sertiange's book, The Intellectual Life, uh, it should form the cornerstone of any uh, spiritual vocation to study. That's quite a statement. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, it is quite a statement. And I, I uh, read it when I was in my 30s, and I was so angry at those that went before me because I'm like, why was my freshman year of college not this book? Uh, anyway. So I highly, highly recommend The Intellectual Life by A.G. Um, French-Dominican. Those guys are not too bad. All right, we'll put so, it in the show notes, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so the curriculum at at uh, at Harmel is is a little different, and and um, one of the things with the fellows that come to us <clears throat> is. Uh, in some ways, it's it's often the least the thing they're least excited about because uh, sometimes they'll say things like, "Well, you know, I I really, I really didn't care for school," uh, and my retort is always, uh, "Well, I don't think that's the case. I think you probably didn't care for how school was done most of your life," um, because um, all of the men that come to us uh, to a man are are very uh, curious fellows. I, I mean. <laughs> I mean that in the sense that they're curious. Um, they, they wonder about things, not that they're curious as they're off. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they can be curious in other ways, too. I understand. <laughs> um, uh, yes, but um, uh, so uh, w- here's how we take our cues. Um, and actually, we, we came to this kind of after the fact, the, the explanation of it a little bit after the fact. Um, there's, a, there's a book called The... the uh, the, uh, something like The Love of Learning and the Desire of God by a Benedictine historian named Jean Leclerc. And um, I, I accidentally came across this book after we had started work on developing the program because I, I had read somewhere that this is one of Joseph Ratzinger's favorite books. And I thought, well, that might be something worth reading. And it's a history of Benedictine scholarship. So it's a real page turner. And, um, <laughs> and uh, the, the opening chapter he makes this very interesting distinction. And he says, you know, the church has actually given us two traditions of scholarship. But we really only know one of them widely. So the first one that we know, you might call the academic or the scholastic um, uh, model of schooling. And this is born, you know, out of, out of the schoolmen and uh, about the reintroduction of, you know, Aristotle into the West. And it's built on the idea that you, 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 you look at the subject for the sake, for the subject's sake, somewhat isolated from other subject matter so that you can perform what we might think of a more uh, forensic or scientific approach to the subject for its own sake. And, this is, and he's not dogging this. This is great. This is good. And so this type of schooling... Uh, you know, forms the backbone of, of the first universities in, all, in essentially all educational, religious, and secular sense. But, Leclerc says, but there is another tradition uh, that he calls the monastic tradition of study. And because it was primarily in the monasteries, uh, it, um, it isn't as widely known. And he says, in, in, in this tradition, the, 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 the subject of study is, is not... Uh, intended to be isolated from other areas so that you can know it for its own sake and its own benefit. But each area of subject is an opportunity to learn something of God. And um, so this is, I think, a very good uh, uh, way of explaining a slight difference that we make with our study of the humanities, is we're not training these tradesmen to be professional academics or necessarily to be, you know, highly conversant in what you might call an academic idiom. What we're attempting to do is to show them that uh, throughout history, great men and women of uh, a tremendous insight, uh, and some of them with tremendous holiness, have had um, many uh, enlightening things to say about the human condition, and ultimately about what it means to be human, which is what the humanities should be teaching us. Mm-hmm. Uh, if 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 not other things, um, and and that this is their patrimony, 
So, uh, so that's the foundation of the approach to the humanities. Uh, the, the, the method we use is something, it's a little bit of a hybrid of the John Senior model and, uh, uh, and, and the Oxford model. So it's an integrated curriculum. So they, they don't take a, a literature class over there and a philosophy class over there. It's essentially one, you know, two-year-long class. Um, and we bounce back and forth between disciplines, uh, and we do, it, we do it thematically. We, uh, so, uh, so it's integrated. Uh, the, the, the mode of instruction, we adopt the Oxford model and uh, sort of a modified form of the Oxford model. Essentially how it works is um, the class is broken into what are called two-week sessions. The men are divided into small cohorts. And at the beginning of each session, we give them a list of questions and say to the men, in two weeks, uh, I get to ask you any of those questions and you need to be able to answer them. So, see you in two weeks. And even though technically it's not just sending them on their own. And we also say, you know, here's a list of books or essays. It'd be good if you read those. Here are some lectures that will be given throughout those two weeks. It'd be good if you attended those. Here are some study <laughs> sessions. Here are some opportunities to sit down with the instructor or the lecturer and ask questions. You know, it'd be a good idea if you showed up. But none of those things are technically required. But the men learn very quickly that if they attempt to BS their way through the questions, uh, not only is it patently obvious to the instructor, but it's patently obvious to all of their peers. And um, so it's up to the men to come prepared, to study well, to be curious and disciplined in their study. And then they have to show mastery through uh, uh, you know, verbal performance. Um, so we don't do things like uh, academic research essays or things like this. I don't have anything uh, against them. But to my mind, that's more about learning an idiom for academia, um, uh, a, a fine thing. Uh, it's, and, and of course, it's important to learn to write and all of that. But the point is, is can you have a serious conversation with the great minds of history and with your peers today around the deepest questions? And then at the end of every semester, we have an event that um, we jokingly first referred to as an inquisition, but the name stuck. Um, <laughs> and what happens at an inquisition is we take all of the major questions from the semester that the men have been given, and we invite a large group of men from the community. These are uh, lawyers and professors and plumbers and electricians and men of all sorts, professions and ages. And essentially we throw, essentially it's kind of an excuse to throw a party. But what we do is we invite these men in and then we tell these men, here's a list of questions. Feel free to ask any of these questions to any of these men. And they better be able to lead a meaningful conversation around that topic. And we listen and we sort of grade them. And um, so you have these 18, 19, 20-year-old fellas who walk into uh, a rather intimidating crowd of professional men who are their seniors by some years, and they have to take up a role as a leader uh, amongst these men in um, exploring the deepest questions of what it is to be a man. Um, and it's been wildly successful. Uh, Josh, I'll, I'll just say, uh, you know, I, I've taught in one fashion or another for over 20 years, uh, high school, college, grad school, the very best 
humanity students I've ever had have mm-hmm. been these tradesmen, bar none. <laughs> and it's, it's, it was, I don't want to say it was a little bit of a surprise, but um, they're excellent. And, um, and it's because, I think, I, I think it's in part because uh, we are, they, they, perhaps they feel that they're not simply being learned, uh, being taught a certain idiom so that they can then progress in their career, but that it's immediately relevant to their, their life and their prayer and their time on the shop floor. So, uh, yeah, so far so good. Um, you know, we read a variety of things to, to address the second part of your question. Uh, like I said, we take them through a thematic uh, 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 study of their vocation as men. And in the first year, we, uh, rather the first semester, we spend a great deal of time talking about their, their core vocation as a man and as an apprentice to Jesus Christ. And so we read things, uh, we, we do a, a, a variety of things. We, we, I, I, I've tried to build the curriculum such that it would be things that they might not encounter in their schooling elsewhere. Which is probably a good thing, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. But even you know, with, the, with the growing um, uh, popularity of classical curricula, yeah. It'd be very easy to replicate, like, well, this is Beowulf, and, you know, this is Herodotus, and these sorts of mm-hmm. things. Um, so, you know, we, 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 we start off reading some postmodernists, and um, uh, we read some Samuel Beckett uh, to help <laughs> these men understand the world of exile that they live in. This is the world you live in, guys. Um, you know, you live in a shattered world. Uh, and we, and we, we, uh, we also read, uh, not uh, deeply, but a fair amount from the Christian East. We, we read some Alexander Schmemann. We read a fair bit of uh, Ratzinger and John Paul, of course, uh, the, especially the social encyclicals, laborum exertions, and, and these sorts of things. Um, we read uh, um, a fair bit of uh, Joseph Pieper as uh, sort of our way into uh, Thomistic philosophy. So there's a fair bit there. Uh, we read... Um, some 20th century literature, we, we do some Hemingway and this sort of thing. Fair, uh, fair few films, not, not a ton, but uh, some. Um, and then just to quickly blow through, so the second semester, we, 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 we study largely the, the theology of fatherhood and theology of work. Um, so uh, books like, uh, of course, Matthew Crawford is, is, is an important introduction. Even right. though it's not theology, he, boy, he's so close. He butts right up yeah. against theology, doesn't he? <laughs> And, I mean, he's like, he, all he needs to do is nudge forward a little bit, and all of a sudden this book is Laborum Exertions. Yeah. And um, the third semester, we uh, uh, look at a man's vocation as his uh, role as a leader of, uh, in his community. So we study a fair bit of uh, political history. And um, the, uh, uh, the fourth semester, we, uh, we, we spend time looking at the man's, uh, the final things, basically. What is vocation in light of your death? Uh, and um, keeping death in front of us. We read a fair bit of uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. His book, uh, The Moment of Christian Witness, is important. Engagement with God is an important text. So some of these texts that these men are reading are, are grad-level texts. And, yeah. um, and, they, and we tell the men, we are, we're throwing you in the deep end, not because we expect you to necessarily be conversant at a graduate level, but because we want you to know that these ideas and these books are your patrimony too. They're not mm-hmm. simply relegated to, you know, grad school, for example. So, um, yeah, so that's a, that's a, that's a not-so-quick overview. <laughs> <laughs>